Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, another day, another pair of Riverdance tickets to be given away for the marquee next June. Pair of tickets. You know how it works at this stage? I'll get you to answer a question, either about dances or about rivers. You choose which one you want to answer, and the winner gets two tickets to go to see Riverdance live at the marquee next June. Good morning, Wednesday morning, 1850-715-996. This Omicron is just, it is flying through the country like a dose of salts. I mean, it's gone from 1% to 11% of the caseload in a matter of days. It's gone from 11% to 14% in a matter of days. They reckon it'll be the dominant variant by Christmas. There, there, there is, and in fact, they're almost certain it'll be the dominant variant by Christmas, which in fairness was what, even before Tony Houlihan said it, it was what John Campbell was predicting when he was on air with us last week. There is a lot of talk now about whether the schools should close early. The Taoiseach seems to have his face set completely against it. Uh, of closing the schools on Friday. Go to that in just a sec. It's not all about COVID. We know you're bored with COVID. We know, you're, okay, we know people are frightened about Omicron, but we know you're bored with COVID. Trust me when I tell you there's nobody more bored with bleeding COVID than me and Virgo and Moirid and Fiona and the rest of us. Nobody. But it's there and it simply refuses to go away, the damn thing. But beside that, coming up also uh, later this morning... There are a few, I think they call them trolls. And they seem to be sort of they're, they're, they're very ignorant and, and malicious. So uh, as a result of the trolls springing up, I, I've got a group of supporters who sort of mm. sprang up. 
Ian Bailey discusses 25 years since the murder of Trophy, Trophy Toscan to Plantier and all that goes with that. That's coming up a little bit later on this morning. But let us turn to that issue, first of all, of the schools and Omicron and COVID in general. Let's join Seamus O'Connor, Principal of Skull Reader Cross Haven. Seamus, good to speak with you again. I really wish thing would this thing would go away, don't you? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? As I always say, one of these days I'll come on here and we'll we'll be talking positively about something, no. <laughs> something new and 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 something creative. But yeah, it, it's it's been very difficult, and for our school, it's been very difficult the last couple of weeks in particular. You know, yeah. With Omicron surging through the country like a dose of salts, uh, one of the leading immunologists in the country, and indeed she's been a guest on this program a number of times, uh, Professor Christine Losher said yesterday that it would be a good idea to close the schools for Christmas this coming Friday and not bother about the last three days. The Taoiseach's face is dead set against that, as is the Minister for Education. Who do you think is right, Seamus? Well, again, cognizant that, you know, there will be, a, uh, it will be parents will be put at a disadvantage in relation to childcare next week. But in the overall context, um, you know, when you see parents who are getting positive results this week, which means that their whole Christmas is, is disrupted due to, you know, having to isolate and children being sick. You know, the, the chance, if, you, if there's any chance that people can take at this point to reduce the, op- the opportunity to, to, for either themselves or for children to, to get sick before Christmas, I think that would be a good thing. I think uh, on a personal level, I do believe that closing on Friday would be a good idea. Um, I, I just think that we've gotten this far next week. No, the only difficulty there is a lot of schools, and my own school included, have a lot of nice things planned for next week. But in the overall context, with the way numbers are and the amount of people who are getting sick at the moment, um, you're you're trying to make sure that people have a really productive and lovely Christmas. And and what you, the last thing you want is people to be sick, you know. Anecdotally, at least, Seamus, I think a lot of parents, certainly they're telling us here on all our platforms, they're just not going to bother sending the children in next week. Do you think people will vote, effectively vote with their feet? With their feet. Yeah, and again, to be fair, schools are taking the approach that they're taking every individual family at this point, um, case by case, and, um, you know, even online, and you, you see, you know, schools are going to be reporting families for doing this, that that's not the case. Look, we understand where where people are coming from. At the end of the day, these are still exceptional times. We're still in the middle of a, an emergency situation. Um, so, I mean, if parents choose to do that, more power to them. They're, they're entitled to do that. And, and I think schools will work with, with parents around those issues, you know. Um, there, there's a thing, though, if they did, effectively the child is marked absent for three days. Are. And we all we all know that if children are marked absent for more than a particular number of days, that social services are mandated to get involved and it can get rather complicated. So can can you as a school principal, you, you you can't say to parents, you're okay to take your kids out, can you? Correct. No, we can't. All we can do is work with parents. I can't give permission for parents to withdraw their children. I suppose to clarify that, it's 20 days in the year, in the academic year that you yeah. have to miss. And at that point, you report the children to the educational welfare officer. Now, schools have the opportunity at that point to say if they're certified um, or acknowledged absences for sicknesses or for family reasons and so forth. So it's not that we'd be setting off alarm bells there. There's obviously cases, the extreme cases, where you have children who miss 60 or 70 sure, days. And sure, we're sure. 100%, do you know? So but I, I guess while... This is just how the system works. It, it has its vagaries yes. and, a, and a situation so, like we're in at the moment, like let's let's take little Sean or little Susan, yeah. do you know, their, their friend 
was positive, so they were home for a few days. They themselves caught COVID, so they were home for a few days. So they've already yeah. masked eight or nine or ten days. If they're marked absent for three more days next year, COVID is still running through the schools. And the new, you know, they'll knock up twenty days quick enough, Shims. Or oh, they will, and I mean, as you know, if if you have a sibling who has caught COVID, yep. Yep. a sibling would be, it's up to seventeen days, which is so I suppose in essence eleven to 12, thirteen days of absence. So, again, once it's explainable, I think schools again will work with families to make sure that whatever they feel is the best course of action for their family at this mm. point, as long as it's not extreme. You know, it's not. Um, I, I and bearing in mind there are a number of families who, <laughs> there were unfortunately their children haven't returned to school because they're isolating anyway because yes. their children are risk and schools are supporting them. So mm. I guess at this point, you know, in comparison to two years ago, ago, schools are, you know, well experienced and more adaptable at supporting families with their individual needs at this point. Yeah. I'm probably asking you to speculate, which might be unfair of me, but why do you think that the minister and the Taoiseach are so dead set against it for the sake of what effectively is two and a half days? Well, I suppose anecdotally, um, PJ, there was a lot of kickback last week when, when for the second closure um, due to the storm on the second day, maybe not here in Cork, but I would assume in other areas, particularly in Dublin, it didn't seem to be a very popular move. So I suppose that's the first thing. They don't want that kickback. But I think secondly, in an overall context, and this goes back to what I've said since I've been on with you, particularly since September when, when they took the close contact criteria away, um, I, they seem to put a lot of political stake on, on keeping schools open. That seems to be their, um, I suppose, their totem pole of, of success as a, as a government at this point. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, there has to be strong leadership around this, though. I do believe if if there was a strong message came from Michal Martin in particular to say that this was being done for health and safety to, you know, to support everybody's Christmas and so forth, I do believe the government would row in behind it. I, just from an educational standpoint, I feel that, you know, I've said this before, the messaging has been through social media, through the minister through the various three leaders within the government, as well as the minister for health and at times the minister for education, the messaging has been very poor. And I don't, as a as a as a principal, feel that we've we as a profession have been um, really strongly led during this period of time. You know, um, so I suppose from a you know in an overall context, I think that they just feel that by getting to a certain date, which they committed to, which is the twenty second of December, that they will they will say that we have done our job. But I think doing their job is actually doing the right thing for their people and governing for the people at this point and I you know again this is just my personal opinion but mm-hmm. I think if they did make a call to close the schools on Friday just to, to take the pressure off the school like you, you have to acknowledge and people who who um, I suppose people who would say they should, you know three days of childcare next week is tr- difficult to un- to, to organise there is that you have to acknowledge that there is massive pressure on schools with COVID with the number of sicknesses with staffing issues um, and why we will we will adhere to the, 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 the date we will keep going till next Wednesday you know, there is a balance there. Is is there a potential risk for more children to get sick and pick up things next week, which will cost them Christmas and so forth? Um, and look, as you know, international evidence, other countries are starting to, like Denmark in particular, was the one I saw yesterday evening. They've decided to close earlier. Um, so look, I think the, the risk and reward has to be there, you know? Yeah, yeah. James, I just want to bring something else up with you. And, and it's a... I'm getting my head around it. The idea that Irish would be, ex- and seeing as, you know, there's a Grell Skull element to, to yours, to your school. Um, the idea that Irish at junior cert level would be examined as a first language rather than as a foreign language. Now, a lot of people might know it was being examined as a foreign language. But what's the yeah. story about wanting to examine it as a first language? Well, first of all, I think, you know, and, uh, you know, 
I rang three Irish Grail Skull Prince, well, two Grail Skull Prince medals this morning, and they weren't aware of it. So I suppose this is just a, a proposal. I suppose the idea is to put more emphasis on Gaelga in general and, and to include it as a, a first language, um, which would the, the kick on effect would be at, at I suppose, at, at primary level. You know, a lot of parents would um, include their children or, or admit their children to Grail Skull now with a view to obviously promoting Irish, but you know, hoping that the predominant uh, amount of work there would be done by the school to support the children in their language. Um, yeah. it, by making it at junior cert level, if they make it a, a mainstay language, you know, obviously there would be a lot more pressure there in relation to the, the level of the actual Irish exam would be lifted. Um, and that would mean that realistically you would have to immerse the children, particularly in Gaelga when they go home as well. Um, yes. No more than if you look at it this way, it, our English is the English language um, exam at, at, at junior certain and leaving certain level is quite complex. Like the language involved, I mean, you're, you take it a simple level, you're, you are doing Shakespearean language for the higher level English, yeah. okay? Yeah. Yeah. So if you, weren't, if you weren't immersed in Irish in your household every, uh, sorry, excuse me, if you weren't speaking English every day in your household, it'd be quite difficult to do the higher level Irish, uh, yeah. or sorry, English exam at leaving yeah. certain I, I, guess I, 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 I get it now. Yeah. So, in other words, what, in simple terms, Irish is presently examined as a, a language that is not spoken normally. Correct. Whereas, yes. if you changed it to examine it the same way as we examine English, in other words, as if it was the normal spoken language, it would make it yeah. an awful lot harder for kids who didn't speak like speak it all the time. Yes, and I suppose from my perspective as a, as a teacher, when we go to third level and we're, we do Irish exams, like it's a very, it's, there's a big jump in the level between the, the Leaving Cert Irish and your third level Irish exams, okay? And and understandably, because, you know, while you're in college, you're, you are immersed in, in, in Goyal a lot of the time. So, um, and that's the, that's the best way I can anecdotally kind yeah. of explain it to you, DJ. Now, to be fair, this is only a proposal. This hasn't come in. Appreciate that. I know the Connor. Conor and the Gaelga have obviously come out against this straight away. Mm. Um, I, I suppose on a, on a parallel conversation, and we talked about this previously in relation to diversity of education, what does need to happen in relation to Irish is there are a lot of teachers in this country who are qualified teachers from different countries, but they can't teach in primary schools because they don't have Irish. And I yeah. think the conversation does need to be held about that because, you know, we are a more diverse culture and I, I we embrace it across the board in primary yeah. schools. But, you know, there is a certain level of um, of continuity or, or, or um, you know, the teachers that all the primary teachers that we have, you know, to be nice, have you know, different yeah. cultures included in our primary school. No, so I, I think I'm not saying... I think you've explained yeah. it very well there now in terms of the spoken language bit because, I mean, if you take myself, I did honours Irish to leaving cert level and and if yeah. you began to speak Oscar to me as Federalum Gok Illa Uckle a Hishkind but I could yeah. not conduct this conversation Oscar Gaelic. Yeah, completely and, you know, again, even for myself, I would consider consider myself Galifa, but if you put me in a room with 20 people who speak Irish every day in West Kerry and so forth, I would struggle and I would be quite conscious of myself. And I suppose that's the best way to explain it. So the, the knock-on effect would be, would 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 people be as in, in, keen to put their children into primary school, Gael Scullina, when this is the, the way that they're going to be examined going forward? Possibly not. Um, and I don't think that was the whole ethos of how why Gael Scullina were, were, were created in the first place. Now, again, I'm, I'm stressing, this is, I mean, I rang three principals this morning, they knew nothing of this, so yes. this is a proposal, yes. um, but it's good to have a conversation around it. Is indeed. that okay, PJ? Indeed, yeah. indeed, indeed. Grimila Mahagut, Asin Kora, Shin Hamish. No Hamish. problem. Not Thank you, this. Don, Cheers. Uh, 1857-15996. I think that explains the idea better. Uh, English is examined as a spoken language. 
Irish is still the constitutional first language of the country, but English is examined as the spoken language. And there's an idea out there, it's just an idea, that they would change it and examine Irish at junior cert as if it were the spoken language of the country. As in not the mother tongue kind of thing. See where that one goes. And as for the schools closing, here let's throw this, chuck this out to listeners this morning, this dull and foggy old Wednesday morning. But the weather forecast, by the way, leading up to Christmas, at least that's a positive. Weather forecast is very nice leading up to Christmas. Um, would you, will you, have you thought about taking the children out of school, particularly the young ones now, not the secondary, but taking the young ones out of school Friday? Have you thought about it? What are you going to do? Are you in a position to do it? Because a lot of people won't be in a position to do it, and that's a given, we have to accept that. But are you thinking about taking the children out of school Friday and just not bothering to send them in for the last couple of days so as you don't end up with the bad news of having to isolate for Christmas? Or worse, again, a child doesn't bring it home inadvertently, spread it in the house, spread it to Nana, and we know where that goes. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. We're playing all your favourite Christmas hits after midday on Cork's 96FM. With your local mace, going the extra smile to make your Christmas special. It's Christmas time. Hear your favorite Christmas hits 24-7. Listen to Quark's 96 Miss, streaming online now. With Bridgestone and Desi Tires, for real value, service and convenience. Open seven days at four locations, with late opening too. Desi'sTires.ie Download our app or see 96FM.ie Yeah, I'd like your thoughts. I'd just like to gauge properly, if I can. Thank you, Virgo. I'd like to gauge properly, if I can, the level of support for, you know, parents who might be considering, as we said, talking to Seamus, voting with their feet and maybe taking the children out on Friday for safety's sake in the run-up to Christmas. So let me know what you are thinking. 1850-715-996. Senator Jerry Baltimore was on his feet in the Shannon yesterday talking about uh, paramedic motorbike units uh, which will restart here in Cork in the short to medium term. I wasn't aware we'd lost them, Jerry. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yes, we did lose the two paramedic motorbikes, which were first trialled in 2018. Um, and inexplicably, they were taken off the road. Um, the excuse, not the excuse, it's the wrong word, but the reason given was the staff were redeployed because of COVID. But in a similar situation that occurred in Dublin, uh, the same staff were then retained rather than being redeployed uh, and the bikes were kept. And and as we all know now, the whole role of the National Ambulance Service and our men and women in our paramedics in our ambulance service has changed from when we were young people, PJ, which wasn't today or yesterday, in that, you know, it was taking people, transporting people to hospital or to wherever now our paramedics in the ambulances uh, and our motorcycle units uh, are creating a care pathway. And in the case of Cork, uh, since 2018, uh, when it was trialled, th- th- these 
excellent paramedics who are highly trained ha- have been commencing treatment, reporting back before the ambulance arrives. And, and as we know in Cork, given our narrow streets and congestion, uh, for example, heading towards the tunnel or on the link road, they have been very quick in, 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 in reducing times in terms mm. of uh, response times. Um, and it, they were removed and they've been only in operation, PJ, for 50, so two weeks out of 51 this year, which is yeah. not good enough. Well, here's the thing. First of all, these are they're as common as muck, as it were, in the NHS. Every decent NHS uh, trust in the UK has a fleet of these. In, in a city the size of Cork, two alone is a very small number. You would think that there would be loads of them out there that, because it's the fastest way to get to someone, particularly if you don't actually need the bigger ambulance. Well, that is the point, and that and many of us uh, have been championing and advocating for this, and it took us until 2018 to get these uh, advanced paramedics, you know, motorbike units. Uh, we have had advanced paramedics who have been transformative, uh, both in urban and rural Ireland, and in particular in Cork. And, and in the case of, of, our, of our paramedic motorbike units, uh, they have, you know, played a huge, significant part in the National Ambulance Service delivery for people because they allow for ease of navigation and speed uh, but also they have they have created and I keep using this point but it's it's I think it's worth noting they've saved lives but they've also put a, a care pathway forward for pa- patients or people who need them uh, and we are the second busiest city we're a very narrow congested city and, and I believe and I've been raising this for a while now the whole operational unit needs to be fully operational because it, it's about people and, and my point isn't about Dublin versus Cork PJ it's, it's it's much more than that it's about scene management, it's about early life saving, it's about treatment it's about improving response times but if Dublin can retain their bikes then Cork should be able to and, and what, what annoys me profoundly uh, is in a tweet as I said in the channel yesterday Paul Reid said that you know, he was talking about Cork when he was in Cork these guys save lives every day uh, and and that's the point. It doesn't just stop because we have COVID. It doesn't just stop because we have staff redeployed and, and, and our men and women in the ambulance service are doing huge work and great work. Uh, and, and I just, I, I'm, I'm grateful and welcome that the, the response mm-hmm. was positive, Peter. But yeah. as you know, the HSE short to medium term could be this time next year. Well, what's, what's great, you see, Jerry, in your present position is you're not an opposition senator or TD shouting from the other side of the house. You are a member of a government party, so you should have better access to the minister and and the the works around him than an opposition you, uh, uh, politician. You know, PJ, so you can push it, it harder. And that's what I'm doing. And as you know, PJ, better than most people, it isn't the opposition uh, or the government backbencher that makes the decision. Nor in this case is the minister. It's the HSC and the National Ambulance Service. Well, you to know, be fair, the minister well. is in charge. If the minister wants it done well, and says, "I want it done," <laughs> yeah. it gets done. That's yes, at least and, that's and, how it and, should and, work. And, and we also have three government ministers or two plus the Taoiseach in Cork City who should be also pushing for this as well. You are correct. And that's why yesterday I, I reached a point of frustration because I have been talking to and engaging with members of the National Ambulance Service and with the HSC and, and, and literally playing handball off a haystack. Uh, and that's why I, I took to the floor yesterday to, to raise the matter because this is important, PJ, and it isn't about uh, a political matter. It's about saving lives. It's about delivery of service to people who sure. need it at the most urgent time of, of, of care. Okay. Jerry, you, you were a teacher in a former life, and we're talking about the schools with parents this morning, and I was talking to a principal in, in Crosshaven. Taoiseach has his face dead set against taking the children out early on Friday. We know that a lot of parents are voting uh, 
with their feet. What's your own view? My, my personal view, PJ, is that we, is that our schools. Uh, first of all, I think I understand as a ta- as a teacher and 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 as somebody who's worked in the school community that schools are confined spaces and with the you know with the 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 windows open, the happy filters with the masks, there are there is and it is a convector for for spreading of the disease. I, I would ha- understand the need to close early. Uh, I think it, it, in terms of the non-exam classes, it wouldn't do any major disruption to this to the school year. Um, I think it's important that we keep people safe. Uh, the mask wearing isn't as burdensome as some people would say from my young people, from talking to my own nieces and, and friends who've got children. They're, they're not really thrilled mm-hmm. about wearing it, but they're not. They're, it's not. It's an inconvenience that they can live with. Yeah. But I think it's important that we uh, personally, I would say. We could call we, now. And I'll say this, PJ, and you get a deluge of calls about childcare, about parents working, and and the whole need for childcare, and 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 being able to support that element of of mm. of, of the the child's development. Taking all that be, into account, I, I I personally would would have no issue with the schools closing on Friday. I think it would make sense because you know, look, they're doing exams. No, the only thing I would say is that in many secondary schools, in particular, they are doing end of term exams and, and, and they are engaged in, in, in that. Most activity. of those are usually finished by Friday, if I remember from my own school time. I think that's changed a bit, PJ, given the whole whole school directive and yeah. and, 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 and all that. But look, I don't think, in terms of primary schools, I wouldn't have an issue with closing these primary schools on Friday, notwithstanding the issue of childcare and, and parents looking to have, have supports put in place to be able to mind and look after why, children. Why do you but think, think the Taoiseach and the Minister are so dead set against it? I, I can't answer for him, PJ. I don't know. I, I think he, he has a very strong view about education and that we all share that. Uh, school is the place to be and, and it's about the whole school, it's about the whole development of the person, the child that is in school and the young teenager. Um, I, I, I think the whole issue around schools now is to make sure they're safe. There are a lot of teachers out sick and, and be it with COVID and close contacts and equally students out sick or close contacts with COVID uh, and, and it has disrupted the whole school community and it has caused a major difficulty in, in the delivery of education. Uh, we've seen and I know firsthand from my own experience both uh, as a teacher and, and having members of my own family and friends, teachers, that it is disruptive it, it is caused mayhem in schools despite what is being said uh, and I, I think to facilitate the non-spreading of the virus, I would say in, in particular primary schools could close early on Friday. It wouldn't be a huge disruptive, notwithstanding, as I keep saying, the parents need to have childcare sure. needs met. But I think if we're talking about reducing socialisation, if we're talking about reducing the congregation of people, then it would make sense to close our schools on Friday. In terms of primary school, I do. I, I still believe that I think that it's primary school days. most people are talking about because an awful lot of the secondary school kids are vaccinated at this stage. Jerry, thank you very much. That's Senator Jerry Buttermer uh, of Finnegan. Just getting his view as well as this. Uh, I didn't know. I knew they had come in, but I didn't know we'd lost the paramedic motorbike units uh, in a city as busy as ours. Look down in the streets now, and even with every a lot of people staying at home, the streets are still very busy. Traffic is demented. Uh, at the moment, the motor, we should have, a, mind you, two. We should have about 12 motorbike paramedics around the city. But with regard to the schools, I'm just taking people's views on it as we go through the morning. Mary says the majority of students are better off in school. I usually listen to PJ all the time, but it annoys me when he comes back to the schools. He should put a positive spin in it and see how important schools are for students. Parents are manic at work, manic at, work at this time of year. They don't need the worry of kids being at home. Grandparents are stepping in to help out in school is important. I could not disagree with a word you've said, Mary. School is of crucial importance. Absolutely crucial 
importance. And at this time of the year, and I was a parent of young children myself one time, they're manic at work. And if my children had been at home from school at this time when they were small, it would have been ridiculously difficult for myself and the Queen Bee. I get all that. I get all that. I don't want the schools to close. But I'm not, I'm not sure that the two and a half days next week are going to spoil any child's education. It's the other side of it. And as Seamus from Skullrida said, well, if you did close the schools on Friday, you know, it might keep infection out of some houses. It might keep infection out of some Christmases. It might keep some elderly relatives out of hospital. So we have to take all those things into account. As regards Irish, Kate says, if I get off a plane sprouting Irish, I won't get anywhere. But if I speak Spanish, I will. Every child should start to learn a European language. Good. Uh, I'm a parent who loves Irish. I spent time canvassing for a Gael skull before. I now meet some of the kids who went there and they say schools should be pushing IT. Kids are losing out because they're not learning IT. In the UK, they're introducing IT skills into primary schools. We're losing out here because kids don't learn how to do spreadsheets or coding. Our multinational companies need those skills. Fair point well made. 1857 Focus, what you mean? Got my eyes on a prize, that's me. Manchester City are the champions. Number one, that's top of the league. The best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick. Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal. Oh, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Talk Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live. With now, stream live Premier League action with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Corks 96fm app. Corks 96fm. Somebody got on to me yesterday about the off license opening hours at supermarkets. I guess off license opening hours in general, making the point that a vulnerable relative was recently going to a supermarket early in the morning just to stay safe and smaller crowds and all of that but wanted to buy some Christmas gifts maybe a bottle of wine or stuff for a friend and couldn't buy a few harmless bottles of wine before midday cause them's the rules and it just, I said that's an absolutely outdated and stupid rule and I don't think it stands up anywhere. We had a bit of a conversation like that but Rory got on to us about something else. He was out last weekend and he was calling his round was an alcohol-free beer for himself and a Guinness for a friend. And the Guinness was a fiver. And the alcohol-free beer was actually dearer than the flipping Guinness. And he was wondering, like, how the hell does that happen? Uh, we might come back to him because I don't think he's there just now. Now, yesterday, uh, Owen Cura uh, came up again. May you remember the meeting of the... Eric's health committee that was postponed last week due to Storm Barra. Well, that Eric's health committee meeting convened yesterday. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any good news coming out of it for the residents and friends 
and families of Owen Akura, uh, the HSE, from listening back to the proceedings, which one can do under Octus TV, the HSE seems dead set on going ahead with its original plan to close Owen Akura. Now, originally, that was to be the end of October. That came and went. Um, it's it's still happening, though. Um, Michael Fitzgerald of the HSE uh, outlined the situation at the start of yesterday's meeting. Initially, the plan was to refurbish the centre, but as we moved to the more detailed planning stage, serious concerns emerged that any level of such refurbishment would not bring the building to the standard required. Advice from external construction experts along with HSE estates shared with the committee previously informed the HSE in a difficult but necessary decision to close the centre. This was not our original plan for the valuable services at the Corner Corridor Centre, and while it was a difficult decision, there was no other option open to us. The immediate priority remains the welfare of the remaining residents of the centre. We have been and continue to work with each resident individually and consult with their families to agree an appropriate alternative placement based on their assessed needs and will and preference. We understand that the owner Corridor Centre has provided a very valuable service to residents in a unique location for many years. The HSE, however, is committed to working closely with the residents to find appropriate alternatives suitable to their needs. And that's an edited version of Michael Fitzgerald's opening statement to that meeting, which was held virtually yesterday. Nessa Harrigan, TD for the Green Party, is also an architect and has spoken with us on this topic before. You were at that meeting, weren't you, Nessa? Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I was at that meeting, and I have to say... Um, you know, it threw up more questions than it answered. And I think that there are some very worrying precedents being set by the closure of Onokura. And I and I think it's not just about that um, service. I think for East Cork, it really raised all sorts of questions that we didn't get answers to. But I, I think just in general, you know, the, the kind of answers we got from the HSE were... Um, you know, really disturbing in terms of like what that means for the service. So, you, you know, ultimately what they were saying, that, so there's loads of discussions to be had around the process of the decision making here, which I think was really poor. Uh, um, the, and I think that was said a number of times during during the session um, about, you know, um, how we invest in buildings and, and the choices that we're making and, and who's watching that and who's where's the oversight in that. Mm-hmm. But ultimately the, the most worrying thing is that the HSE said a number of times during that, uh, on questioning, that the plan for East Cork is to have zero 24-hour places, 24-hour yeah. care, you know, highly serviced places. My, I they're, heard that myself this morning, yeah. Yeah, their plan is to have none and that people can go, you know, half an hour down the road to, to somewhere in the south of Cork or you can go to the north of Cork, but there'll be none. And that's that's their plan, is to have zero. And and to be saying that in a public I'm forum... Sure they'd, I'm sure they'd probably they, deny that, but that's certainly the impression one gets from listening to the meeting. Well, we went through the facts and figures in great detail with them. And every time we asked them, well, what's your plan to have those places and replace them? If you're going to close down, there was originally 19 people in, in Onakura. There's now 15. If your plan is to take away all of those places, um, when are you putting them back? East Cork needs its own provision. So in, in a vision for change, the, the kind of the, le- the, the, the plan for all mental health care in this country, a vision for change would say for, for a place the size of East Cork, which is, you know, between 90 and 100,000, you'd need around 
three locations which would have around 10 placements. So, so you're talking about maybe 30 placements. So we were already under-resourced in, in East Cork. And, um, and, and now the plan is to have zero. And every time we ask the question is, how is this possible? How is it possible that your plan is to have zero and to start sending people to, for example, St. Stephen's? Then the answer was, well, we have these community mental health teams. We have people getting care in their home. And that's fantastic in terms of getting care in the home. You know, a moved community mental health provision is fantastic, but that is not the same as 24-hour mm. residential care. And there'll always be a small cohort of people mm. who need, you know, serious support and, and nursing on site and all of mm. those accompanying treatments. And the plan for East Cork right now is to have zero, no places. In terms of putting on your architect's hat for a moment, NASA. In the HSE seem insistent, in fact, they don't seem about it, they are insistent that there's no option but to tear down the Onakura building, do away with it. It just isn't, effectively they're saying it's not fit to be refurbished. Now as an architect, do you see evidence of that or have you, have you had well, enough of your questions answered? Look, I don't want to come on here and say that the building is in good shape or that it's in even in a reasonable state. I think that like many of our, our healthcare buildings and our healthcare facilities, it's an older building. It needs significant refurbishment. But the problem that I have with this is the characterization of it as a problem that can't be solved. I, I wouldn't accept that. And, and certainly my background is in, you know, refurbishment and sustainable building services and all of that kind of stuff. And actually I worked on healthcare buildings and really for a single story building on that site, there's pretty much nothing you can't do. Like it's, it, you can refurb buildings and the idea that you couldn't address some of the fire safety issues, the idea that you can't address asbestos, that simply just doesn't stack up. And I think the problem that I had with it is if you apply the reasoning that they're applying to Onakura across the board, then we would see a tsunami of closure because so many buildings wouldn't come up to that standard. And that's a shame that our buildings wouldn't come up to that standard. But are we really saying that we're going to go around the country and start closing down all of our healthcare facilities? No, we're not. So I don't really understand why Ona Kerr is being treated differently. Like we're talking about things like room sizes, but we know that there are other facilities, even in Cork, that have smaller rooms and don't have any en suites and they're not being closed down. So I think there's there's something else going on here because we know that buildings aren't up to standard and we know know that there's a real um, challenge there in terms of like the capital investment into assets like that but we're not treating any other building in this way so it can't simply be that and just to say I I think that there's a real thorny issue popping up in this process of Onokura around the use of the Mental Health Commission's inspection report. So the Mental Health Commission are independent, they come in, they say, look, this isn't up to standard or this isn't up to code or Mm. we need to make this better. And that's fantastic to have that independent insight. But over and over again, the Mental Health Commission's report is being given to families and being given to elected reps and being given to the community as a reason to close Onakura down. And I think for the Mental Health Commission, you know, to see their reports kind of weaponized in this way and, and justifying treating one service in a completely different way to every other service is, is a problem going into the future. Because if I was a person writing that report and I knew it was going to be used to take away somebody's home, mm. then I, I think I would find that really worrying and it would impact my work. The, res- the, the friends and uh, families of the residents uh, asked uh, recently for an independent report 
to be commissioned, yeah. an external one. And so far, that has not been granted. In fact, the only thing they got was somebody from the HSE said, actually, there's nobody will be able to do that except us, kind of thing. You buy that? that? I mean, no, I absolutely don't. Look, it, I spent a long time going back through um, the, the building reports because I wanted to make sure that the issues that were being raised were valid. And I, and I think a lot of the issues being raised are valid in fairness. But also when you get multiple reports over maybe, you know, some of the ones that I was reading were back as far as 2016, 2015, then you'll start to see, um, uh, you know, information that... Um, contradicts itself. So, you know, reports of different room sizes, different areas being picked out as problematic in terms of fire safety. And, you know, for 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 the families to be having lots of different information being thrown at them is very difficult. And I have absolutely no, I, I can't understand at all why you, you wouldn't allow an independent expert to uh, at least view the building, maybe do a desktop review of the reports and come back. There, there's, you know, there's no kind of magic um, or special information that one building professional would have over any other. You'll have specialists in healthcare, you'll have specialists in building services, you'll have specialists in retrofit, but one is, is, you know, we all have access to the same information. Mm. So why we couldn't have an independent review? And I have to say the answer to saying no, the denial took, I think, five or six weeks to get. And even that is disappointing because it does feel like the clock is being run down so that any objections that we have you know, just mm. time gets away from us. And, and I think that that's cynical. It's an unfortunate situation. It is indeed. And for the residents in particular, Ness, as they come to the end of the year, the nervousness and the fear and the uncertainty of what's going on, it's just not fair to them as people. And I say that just as an individual. Nessa Harrigan, uh, thank you very much. A uh, member of the Green Party, Green Party TD and an architect and involved in that meeting yesterday of the Erectus Committee. 185715996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Coming up, I've been speaking with Ian Bailey, 25 years on from the death of Sophie Toscan de Prantier. The anniversary is next week. It is Thursday. Thursday week is the anniversary of the death of Sophie Tuscan de Plantia in West Cork and I've been speaking to Ian Bailey about that. I'll let you hear that in just a couple of minutes. A few things to get through first though. With regards to Owen Cora, Noel was on from Castle Martyr. Michael Fitzgerald said yesterday the HSE had been in contact with the residents. I know one resident who's had no contact with anyone since the announcement. HSE is using the excuse that any refurbishment would not meet standards. If they're going to build a place that people can stay for a few days, what about the 35 million spent on ventilators that we never saw? Could we not get that back and spend a couple of million on Onakura? I wrote to Health Minister Stephen Donnelly, but heard nothing back. I wanted to go back to the Eroctus Committee meeting because I was extremely pleased um, and very surprised, very pleasantly surprised to hear my name mentioned at uh, that particular meeting yesterday, uh, mentioned 
by Senator Francis Black, who's an independent senator and a member of the committee. Of I'm very conscious that we haven't heard from the residents directly in this these Oireachtas meetings so far. And I want to highlight the wonderful work that broadcaster PJ Coogan did. Um, and anybody who's watching here today, I would really recommend that they, they look up because he, he interviewed the residents, he interviewed the families, and it was honestly, in actual fact, I believe PJ Coogan won an award for these interviews. So I would really recommend anybody, including anybody from the HSE, to listen to those because it was such a huge impact on those families and the residents. Very kind words from Francis, very grateful for them. And in fact, that feature that we did back in the autumn time is included on our end of year shows are Rewind 21, which run for an hour every day, 27th, 28th, 29th, 30th and 31st of December. And that particular package from Onakura featuring the residents and their relatives is included as one of our highlights of the year. But very, very grateful to Senator Black for those kind comments. On the schools, Paddy says they should teach finance and how money and economies work. It'll serve them better in the future than most subjects on the current curriculum. Jerry Bottomer commenting about the schools as well. Uh, someone says, I can't believe Jerry Bottomer's worried about the public health. Pity he didn't think of that when he went to Golfgate. He, look, he can apologise for it until the cows come home. It's never going to leave him. Uh, but yes, point is taken. <laughs> I, I love this one. I, I really do like this one. Let me read this out. Your host is the biggest scaremonger on the air. His opinions are so over the top and ill-informed. Does he not realise that you are, as a team, do you not realise the people listening that are already brainwashed and afraid for their lives over COVID and they fear or feed off his fear and the hate he puts out there? 99% of people survived this virus before the vaccine. Not true. It's now weaker with the new variant. We don't know that yet. But your presenter proceeds to waffle on as if it's bloody lethal. Again, we don't know that yet. He's not willing to listen to others' opinions. Absolute disgrace. Yeah. (sighs) Comes in every day. Did you see the fellow who confronted Pat Kenny the other day? Uh, it's that video is all over social media and Pat like Pat's an engineer and a scientist before he was ever a broadcaster but he he was confronted in a park the other day by a fellow who just started throwing things at him and Pat comported himself with dignity and poise to say the least Um, the only thing I would say to that particular text is it's got one complete misstatement effect um, and another thing based on information we can't yet prove that the thing about you know it's it's now weaker with this new variant well we don't know that yet we would like to think that and certainly it is promising the data is promising in that regard but we don't know that yet He's not willing to listen to others' opinions. It's an absolute disgrace. I sure listen to you. That's grand. You can, you, can, you can feel that way if you want to. I don't mind. 1850-715-996. Now, two other things. And as I say, it is 25 years 
on Thursday the 23rd of December since the body of Sophie Toscan Duplantier was found just outside her home at Tourmore near Skull. It was a bitterly, bitterly cold winter's day as you'd imagine. I remember taking the phone call from West Cork from Eddie Cassidy of the Examiner who contacted the newsrooms to say, as a freelancer, that's what he would do. And he was working with the examiner. He would have said, look, he said, he t- I, I, took, I took the call and he said, look, I don't know a whole lot about it. I'm not entirely across it just yet, but there's about a, bit of a body been found in, in West Cork. I remember asking him, is it a local? Who is it? Do we know what? He said, I don't know anything at the moment. All I know is that there's a body been found just outside school in West Cork. And that was the start of it. That was the start of, of it. So from that day to this, I've been following it with huge, huge interest. I remember my, my poor mother-in-law didn't get any Christmas present that year because I, I, my plan was to go off that afternoon, finish my shift and go shopping and pick up her Christmas present from me. But she got nothing because I was there until God knows what time uh, working on, on that story. But then, of course, the name of Ian Bailey came into the fray um, when he was arrested in... February of 1997 and from that day to this he has continued to maintain he was accused of the crime, he was never charged he was never brought to court but he was accused of the crime and remains, in many people's eyes uh, the, the chief suspect but he insists and protests his innocence to this day and in coverage of the 25th anniversary of the murder of Sophie Toscan Duplantier uh, we felt it was only right that we speak uh, to Mr. Bailey, which I did, and which you can hear next. 1857 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96 FM. Ian Bailey, I understand you have been uh, perfecting your Irish in your spare time. Can you talk to? Tommy Gamal. I guess too fain. Tommy Gamal. Ian, thanks for being with us on the programme. And it's coming up to 25 years now since uh, the night that changed so many lives in fairness mm, yeah, yours yeah. among them um what are your reflections as you as we approach that date um well my reflections i don't know i mean obviously clearly it's something that is you know 25 years that's a quarter of a century and i was you know falsely identified right from the beginning as somehow involved i've always denied my involvement there was no evidence as has been accepted by the dpp here on many occasions and I'm just, I mean, obviously, you know, it's, it's exacted its toll on myself, on my partner, on my former partner now, and on the family of the victim in France. I just think it's appalling because I know there are people in this country who know I have nothing to do with this crime. And I, my prayer has always been that the truth come out. And, you know, I'm almost sort of exhausted from... Um, banging on and trying to do anything I can to clear my name, but um, no. I, I, anyway, yeah. So you know, here we are, a quarter of a century on. Do you think the mystery will ever be solved? 
I would hope it would be, and I would hope somebody would have the, uh, you know, the courage to come forward in this country and acknowledge that it wasn't me. You say that a cold case review is needed. You've written to the commissioner asking for one to be opened. We don't know yeah, yet. I mean, I've been to the commissioner's office on three occasions this year, and the last response I got was that a cold case review was being considered. Now, I've not had any more official correspondence from Drew Harris's office. The only information I've heard has been via the fourth estate, the media. And I understand there is some sort of review going on. Um, whether it's a cold case review or not, I don't really, that doesn't really bother me. I'm asking for an honest, objective review of the case. Would you, would you allow yourself to be interviewed again by the Gardaí? I've made it quite clear in my correspondence with Mr. Harris that I would be perfectly prepared, as would my, my ex-partner, to cooperate with any meaningful, objective um, re-investigation or inquiry. Yeah. What do you think might be achieved by that, Ian? Well, I mean, principally, I, I have, you know, I've battled now for 25 years to uh, try to clear my name. I've done everything that I could do to try to do that. And um, as everybody knows, I was convicted on a pile of lies in Paris that, you know, that wouldn't make muster in Dublin. And yet in, in the French legal system, you know, they could convict a person in their absence and I'm, you know, I'm just tired of being held out to be the, you know, somehow guilty of this crime. It's, it's appalling. It's terrible. Is there any way, say, and you've said what you've said about the French, that is there any way that if the French agreed to reopen their side of the case, would you cooperate with them? Well, I think the, the thing is, actually, I was denied the opportunity to have the interview, an interview with the, the judge in the in the preliminary of the French case prior to the trial, there was a request made by the Irish state that I be um, given an audience with the, the judge. Mm. But you could have gone, could you not have gone voluntarily to the trial yourself rather than have him go in your absence? I was actually thinking about doing that at one point, but I was advised by my lawyers and quite often I, you know, I, I Frank Bottomer, thank you know, bless him, he's been very good, and the, and the barristers. And I was advised under no circumstances to consider going there. And the reason is, and I, I was up at UCC, as you probably know, and did five years of, yes. of law study up there, and that was great. And one of the things I studied as a sidebar subject was French Bonaparte law, criminal law. And it's quite clear under their system of law, which goes back to 1810 and Napoleon Bonaparte, that if you were accused... There's a presumption of guilt as opposed to a presumption of innocence under our system of law. So I would have had no chance whatsoever. Yeah. You're, you're facing a lengthy jail sentence there at this stage, which kind of traps you in Ireland. How do you feel well, about that? I've got a five-year jail sentence ahead of me if, if they ever manage to get a hold of me. God forbid they do. And I've already had a 25-year sentence here of being falsely accused. Yeah, but come back to the question I asked, would you, if, if by some quirk of fate... They, they agreed to look again. Would you cooperate with the French? I, I, I cooperate with anybody who wasn't being meaningful and objective about the case. But, I mean, they, you know, I mean, it's, this is to do with international law and, um, you know, to do with the AW and to do with the um, this pan-European criminal legal system, which we now have all, all the European states have signed up to. And, you know, all I know. This, all I know with this PJ is I have nothing to do with it. 
And I, I think it's appalling that we, both myself and Jules and our families and other people's families have been put through this effect uh, of torture. When all this happened, you were, or had been at least in the UK anyway, quite a promising journalist. You'd resettled in West Cork. Mm -hmm. Assuming that you did not kill Miss Toscan du Plantier, as you say you didn't, Well, do you know who did? No, I don't. I mean, I've got my own theories, but I don't have any proof of those theories. Well, well, without naming anybody, you have theories. Do you have someone in mind? Well, I mean, it struck me that there were two possibilities. One, that it was somebody from France who came over here and it was an assassination. And the other story that seems to have never, never been, it's not been provable, but it's never died away, is that it was somebody local from Bantry. Your interactions on Twitter and this is just an interpretation of them, they would suggest that you know more than you can safely say. Would I be right there? I, well, I don't know. I mean, I've got my own theories, but I can't prove them. I mean, and on, on the Twitter thing, it's quite interesting that I was a social media virgin until earlier this year. Yeah. And then those two documentaries came out, and my life changed beyond almost recognition. And there, was a, there were a few, I think they call them trolls, and they seem to be sort of they're, they're, they're very ignorant and, and malicious. So as a result of the trolls springing up, I, I've got a group of supporters who sort of mm. sprang up. And, mm. um, you know, anyway. You know, uh, journalists are, know how to write and trained legal professionals like you are now on top of it also know how to write. So reading your comments carefully, one does suggest that there's more you'd like to say? Well, I think there are questions I'd like to be able to have answered. If I, if, but I'm not really in a position to be able to put, put those questions to the people who I know wouldn't know the answers. I mean, it's just, I just think it's an, it's an international disgrace. And it's a disgrace that I've been put through what I've been put through, that Jules has been put through what she's been put through, that the family, see, and the family were convinced from day one. They were told, the French family were told, have no doubt, we know who did it, you see. So... I know that they were told from the beginning that it was myself. Mm. So I can understand them, if you like, buying into the false narrative that was created. And I, I, I feel very, very sorry for them because they have bought into a false narrative and they do think that I'm the, the, the murderer of their, mm. you know... The, but, the, but clearly, Ian, they're intelligent people in their own right. They're, they're not fools. They're capable of thought. Yeah. They may well have been told what you said they were told, but they've spent, they've had 25 years to think about this too. Yeah, well, all I know is that they bought into the false narrative that was created pretty early on, maybe even on day one, mm. on the first but, but, day. On, but but on they've the... stayed with it ever since. Like that, they are intelligent people. They're, they they stayed that, that narrative. Yes, it was given to them, as you say, but they also have had 25 years to reflect on this, as have you. And they, yeah. they, they stay with their original version of events. If, it they was do. A, they do. if you were in a position to speak ever directly to them, I mean, highly unlikely because they, you know, they believe you are the man who killed their daughter, what would you say to them? Well, I would just say that I have absolutely nothing to do with this. And I know that, you know, I know that I don't. I know God above knows that I don't. And I know that there are people in this country who, who know I had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Your life has been blighted by this since uh, 
since you were first arrested uh, in the early part of 1997. I remember it very well. I remember you being arrested. I remember being outside Bandon Garda Station th- that particular night. So, you know, I have a very vivid memories of that occasion. And right, yes. Do you know, why, Ian, if I would put it to you this way, why don't you just go away and live a quiet life Well, rather than P- continuing P- to P- reignite P- the conversation? P- PJ, I knew right from the beginning, one, there is no statute on a murder, and two, I had, you know, you get these, like, it was fight or flight. I can remember very distinctly, the, the, you know, those, we get these chemical reactions in our body from cortisol and from adrenaline, and I always chose to fight and stay. And I knew that even if I had gone back to, to Britain and pursued my career as a journalist, it, this would not have gone away. This would not have gone away, and it wouldn't have gone away. Mm. You know, so I, I've just tried to make the best of a bad situation for as long as I've been doing it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm determined to continue buggering on and, and fighting to clear my name and take any opportunity I can to do that. Yeah, You mentioned the two documentaries earlier on. Now I have watched them both. And twice, actually, uh, both of them. I've spoken to Jim Sheridan, who made one of them. What did you make of mm-hmm. them? Well, first of all, I only saw two, the first two episodes of the Jim Sheridan five-part objective documentary for the Sky. Mm. I didn't watch any more, and I haven't seen any more. Why not? Would you, would would one not be very curious to to watch them? Would you? No, strangely enough, not. No. Why? Um, well, no, I mean, I, I chose not to be. I watched the first two when they came out, mm. and I, I found it very, very upsetting. I found it very upsetting for the victim. I found it very upsetting for Jules, and I actually started to feel a little bit sorry for myself because I saw myself as a younger man with not too bad looking, with a good head of hair, and, you know, and so I, I just chose, as a, if you like, it's a coping mechanism. I might sit down and watch them at some point over the holiday. It's in my mind to do that. Mm. As for the Netflix, I haven't watched it. I knew that that was going to be a piece of, in effect, demonizing propaganda, which it was. How can you, hang on, how can you say that when you haven't seen it? Ah, well, because I had parts of it drawn to my attention by different people. But you know, as a journalist, you know that a part drawn to your attention is no good unless watched in context. Uh, well, the the point about it is there was a dirty, rotten, sinking lie that was perpetuated in the Netflix production, which was to do with a, a long a black coat that I once used to possess mm. that was taken that was taken away from me on the first arrest, which I never received. And and the false the lie that was told about it was that I had somehow the suggestion was that I had I'd probably been wearing that at the time of the crime, and that I had then gone to the trouble of bleaching and then destroying the coat by burning it. Well, that was nonsense because one, I was seen in it on the Christmas Day swim in Skull. And two, it was number one on the list of items that were listed having been taken away from me mm. on the first arrest. Yeah. I guess you you do really want to sit down with someone and talk your way through this, this cold case. You mentioned Jules. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. A couple of times I'm aware that your relationship has come to the end. We, we were all made very aware of the, the nastiness. Well, look, that, 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 look, I was guilty of what might be called domestic abuse. There were a couple of incidents where we both drank and I was guilty of, you know, a, um, a very, very, very bad behavior towards her. And that was well over 25 years ago. So, Do you talk at all now? Uh, we have we have had limited little um, contact since we since we sort of we split. You know, it's not been easy for her, and I mm. appreciated her situation. And she was, you know, I, I've had to find a new accommodation. I had to move everything out. All my my book, you know, it, it was a great upheaval, in, in, and it would mm. be in anybody's life. Is there any friendship left? Well, I've still got affectionate feelings for her, um, and uh, you know, I think we 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 we. we when, when these things happen, I think, you know, you, the emotional heart gets broken, I guess, and the, the emotions run high and it takes a while for the emotional, um, turbulation. Is that not, I've just made that word up the emotional upheaval to yeah. settle down. And I think we're, well, I'm certainly still in that, in the process of that. Yeah. Come back to where we started 25 years ago, everything changed. What, what do you think? I suppose I'm getting you to speculate now, but what do you think would have been your life had had this not happened, Ian? Well, I don't know because one, I've learned never to do sort of retrospective if he buddies, if you know this. But, you, but surely you must that. have had moments where you said, "Christ, if this never happened, where would I be now?" I did. You know, I tend not to think like that because there's no point in it. You know, I just deal with the reality that I've dealt with. 
I mean, what I would guess is that I would have carried on to be, you know, I had been pursued my journalistic career as I was pursuing it. Um, I've always liked writing. I mean, re more recently, I've actually gone back to a form of journalism, writing a series of articles for the big issue. Mm. And, uh, you know, that, that was a sort of semi, well, it was a, a, a small autobiographical series of articles. And I'm quite excited about the future and as much that my creative juices are flowing again. And I've got two or three very good creative ideas for the new year coming up, mm. one of which is write an autobiography. Mm -hmm. Do you ever get tired of the limelight? I know you're probably in it unwillingly, but do you ever get tired of it? <laughs> so it's, I wouldn't say it's limelight. Uh, that's... Um, Look, I just deal with this stuff. I, you know, I've learned over the years, and I, I am a media person. You know, my background was media, newspapers, television, radio, and I know what the me the media is a multi-headed beast, PJ, with many heads and many sharp teeth. And you know, the the if the you know how I got mauled, and it felt like I was being eaten alive at the beginning of this thing when the guards went around the media and our neighbours telling everybody. Have no doubt it was me. It was Ian Bailey. And um, I, I just dealt, I just dealt, I just deal with this stuff. I call it, I, politely, I call it shite. I just deal with the shite. And I do mm. what I have to do. And I try then to carry on and be as creative as I can be within my own little, uh, you know, creative bubble. How will you spend Christmas? I will have actually been very nicely invited to spend it with some. I've got a, a couple of, I've had quite a few people have offered me. Um, um, you know, uh, the, the, the opportunity to stay with them as part of a, f a large family thing over Christmas. So I'm not quite sure exactly what I'll be doing, but I've, um, I've got a, I've got an idea. I'll, I'll be spending it with a with a nice nice family. Okay, Ian, it's been good to speak with you, and uh, and I wish you well and thank you. Okay, well, Guru Mila Margaret and Solas Nanolag, um, thank you. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael with an update on Cork's entertainment. Tom Grennan has released his second album, Evering Road, and has followed up with a tour announcement that takes in a live at the Marquee Show in Cork on May 31st. Tickets are on sale now from usual outlets. Access all areas. Indie 22 has announced its headliners and first act set to play the long-running music festival next summer in Cork with Bastille, Fatboy Slim and Rudimental Live all announced so far. Weekend camping tickets are now on sale. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by mailing us here at AAA at 96FM.ie Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on on Cork's 96FM. Just something I want to mention before we move on. Uh, earlier in the year, we, we marked the passing of, of Ted Dunn. Uh, he was a good friend to myself and Fergal, indeed to many, many people. And family was everything to Ted, and his two children, Lily and TJ, were never far from Ted's thoughts. He'd tell you a story about either of them at the drop of a hat, and he was always bursting with pride as he spoke, but... Today is Lily's 21st birthday and Ted would have been 10 feet tall. He'd nearly have phoned everybody in his contacts book to tell them just in case they'd forget. It's a big day for Lily and the family. It's a sad day too. But I uh, just wanted to mention Lily today. Have the best day that you can, Lil. 
and know that your dad is watching over you uh, and so is your mum, Sheila, and your brilliant little brother, TJ. He's watching over all of them and also a special mention uh, for Lily. It's a big day. Hope you have a nice day. Your dad was always very proud of you. So am I. Your dad's looking down on you today and all the time. Lots of love from Uncle Pa and from all at 76 St. Joseph's and Fergal and PJ too, Pat. Thank you, Pa, for that. Just wanted to mention that. It's a big and a difficult day, I imagine, for Lily. 1850-715-996. I don't know how many times I have spoken over the years, both on this programme and when I was in the newsroom, about inquests and how difficult and confusing they can be. And I attended dozens of them in my time and never enjoyed it in any way, but always found they were just extraordinarily difficult places for families to be in particular. And a barrister, Darren O'Mahony, is the co-author of a new book on inquests simply called Medical Inquests. And she joins me now. Darren, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good, thank you. It was something as a journalist I never got used to, uh, covering inquests. Mm -hmm. But for a family, that must be extraordinarily difficult. What's the idea behind the book? It's the first one for years. It is. First book, I think, uh, in in Ireland for, I think, about 20 years on the subject. Um, At the turn of the millennium, there was a book published. Um, But really, I suppose, PJ, I feel that unless uh, a person comes in contact with the coroner's service, um, and hopefully most of us won't, but unless they do, there's very little understanding really of what goes on in the coroner's court. Um, I know you would have covered a lot of inquests down through the years. Um, you will appreciate how, how difficult it is to be in an environment that's so cold and so clinical. Um, it's uh, the investigation of any sudden or unexplained death Uh, will usually result in an inquest. Um, But I think having them in a courthouse where you have criminals on trial and, you know, people in the midst of family law disputes and everything milling around, tensions are running very high and it's it's not a nice place for anybody to be, but particularly a a bereaved family who are struggling. Is it at families the book is aimed or is it at professionals? Um, Well, I would say both. I mean, we, it was written with the intention of informing um, per, uh, fellow lawyers, solicitors and barristers who would be representing families at inquest. But it's written in such a way that I, I hope that it's accessible to everybody. And I think that, you know, people who have been through the process or who might have to go through the process could find it useful. That's what, that's what I would really hope, yeah. Because we forget who does have to interact at some time with an inquest. Obviously, there's the the bereaved family, there'll be sisters, law students. Mm. Uh, interestingly, though, doctors, nurses, we'd forget that. They all have to take part in inquests. Hospital That's managers, true. many of security personnel, ambulance mm. I've seen Guides. any number of people. Yes, yeah. anyone and everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, members of the public could be called for a jury service at an inquest. Some juries are held by coroners sitting alone, but in many instances, there'll be a jury. Um, so it's a place where many of us might well end up at some point in our lives. But mm. I think that the atmosphere at inquests can be very uh, hostile, as I said, very cold. Mm. Um, and as somebody who's represented many families over the last few years uh, in hospital death inquests, they, they have found the whole process very harrowing, mm-hmm. very difficult. And then they come out at the end of it feeling like they've gone through a day 
or a few days of traumatic evidence and they wonder what was it all for because mm. you come out of it with what's called a verdict and e even that label itself I think is wrong. It suggests um, blame or guilt. You know, inquests are fact-finding exercises. There's nothing about um, apportioning blame or guilt at an inquest. The word verdict, um, again, I, I think is, is outdated, but families can come out of these things feeling like they've got a verdict. They may get recommendations made for changes, for example, in a hospital, but they wonder, is there any follow-up? Uh, who's going to oversee the implementation of these recommendations? Mm -hmm. So once the process is over for them, they feel they've had to pour their hearts out and they've had to hear all of this very, very harrowing evidence. I mean, I'm talking evidence from a pathologist who goes through the minutiae mm -hmm. of a post-mortem examination, um, talking about the, the, the body of their loved ones. I mean, it's 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 nothing that a, a person wants to, to sit through yeah. and hear. And they come out at the end of it and they feel, what's been achieved, you know? But I think that if people could feel that learning was happening and if there was some, some degree of accountability and changes made as a result of these inquests, mm. then they would be serving more of a purpose. But I think as it is, we've got a long way to go. Mm. Um, and I mean, I do believe that we have excellent coroners and they're doing the very best they can with a system that's under-resourced and underfunded. Like, for example, PG in Cork City, um, we have the coroner. There's, there's two members of staff compared with Dublin, where they have 24 members of staff. And in Cork, I can tell you they're dealing with a quarter of the volume of cases that they are in Dublin City, you know. So it is really creaking at the seams. And I think it behoves us as society to place more emphasis on supporting the service, but especially supporting the people who go through the yeah. process. Yeah. Something, for example, that an awful lot of people don't understand because they never come into contact with the inquest system. You, you said that, you mentioned that there's nobody, they're not looking for anybody to blame. Like the simple mm -hmm. purpose of an inquest, John Murphy's inquest, is purely to ascertain the circumstances of John Murphy's death. And that's a, a difficult concept to understand. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you're absolutely 100% right. The purpose of an inquest is to establish the facts of who died, when they died, where they died, how they died, and the circumstances surrounding the death. That's really all it is. Um, nobody is on trial, but it can feel that way. It can feel that way. And I mean, I have great uh, empathy too for doctors, nurses, midwives who are called to give evidence at these inquests. It is very difficult for them as well. And, um, you know, to, to, to have to sit down and be asked questions by lawyers um, and then by coroner. Um, it is very difficult for them, but for the families too. I have had numerous family members say to me afterwards, they felt that their loved one was on trial. And it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that. And I think topically at the moment, PJ, like the Stardust Inquiry, everyone will remember that awful tragedy, Valentine's Day 81, where 48 young people lost their lives. Yeah. In the aftermath of that, there was, there was no real investigation. There was an investigation as such. And they found that the fire doors had been kept locked. Exits were blocked. Regulations had been breached left, right and centre. However... Um, they just found that there was an unknown uh, arsonist with an unknown motive and that was it. It was left in abeyance for years and years. And you had all these families 
you know, pressing the government and pushing and pushing for a full inquiry. And then in 2019, the Attorney General ordered a fresh in, uh, investigation into the Stardust, which you were seeing now that hasn't even got underway yet. Um, and when will it get underway, you know? Mm. People can't wait around forever um, for answers. So I just, I feel, I really hope, uh, my intention for the book is to open people's minds and hearts and make them realise that we can do an awful lot more to support the family. They're the people at the centre of this. They need compassion and support. And again, I, and I'm not critical of the service, but I do think that there there should be more liaison between coroners, offices and mm-hmm. families mm-hmm. right throughout the process because it from time of death to date of inquest it could be months or years mm-hmm. and they need to be communicated with. I remember my time in the attending the, the coroner's court in, in the city when mm. Dr. Cullinan was the coroner at the time. Yeah. What I often thought about families, Darren, was there was no there was no one there to kind of hold their hand. Um, at that very difficult time. There was one wonderful guard. I won't mention his name, but I'm sure you remember who he was. Lovely, lovely man. He was almost permanently located outside the coroner's court. And he had a gentle word, a hand on the shoulder for the family. And it was worth gold to them. But it wasn't even Mm. his job. He just knew how the system worked and what they could expect to see. And I think for a family going into such a difficult thing as a loved one's inquest, and, and you know as well as I do and better, some of them take an hour, some of them take a fortnight. Absolutely. They need yeah. somebody to mind them. Yeah. And it's, you know, not, you have to bear in mind we have numerous coroner's districts. And yes, I know the individual you're talking about in Cork, but believe you me, if you have an inquest up in, Longford or some other remote part, that, that there mightn't be an individual like that. Yeah. So the family really are out in the cold on their own. And simple things, PJ, like, you know, I find it shocking that in the days or weeks leading up to an inquest, I might meet a family and they're asking questions like, where is this going to take place? Um, how long will it take? Uh, can I leave the room at any stage? Can I bring support? Yeah. Uh, is there a place where I can wait? Uh, will there be a room that I can go to? Like, these are basic fundamental questions. And I think that um, if we modernise and humanise the system, these are things that families should be informed about right from the get-go. Mm. Um, because I think at present they feel slightly adrift. And you have to bear in mind for institutions like the HSE, they're well used to dealing with inquests and they have legal personnel regularly representing them they know how the thing works but for a family like it's a once in a lifetime event they do need support and i really hope that our project here will will, will show them just uh, mm. just how much support is out there if they ask for it and just reach out for it what's happened specifically as well through the pandemic and i had one family spoke to me a few months ago is that they've been put back and put back and put back mm for a chronic shortage of staff. Now, I know a book can't, can't address that, but your, your own thoughts, I'm sure, as a barrister, on whether the system is, is jammed up at the moment. What, are, what do you think? It is, it is jammed up. And I mean, look, like everything, there's just a backlog created because of the pandemic. Um, there's no way of getting around that. That's a simple reality. But I do understand the frustration of families who are having their inquest adjourned and adjourned and adjourned and adjourned. And you have to understand that, 
you know, many family members, they, they mightn't be in the best of health. They're, they're getting older. Um, and there are cases then when family members die before they even get to see the inquest conclude. And, and that's absolutely heartbreaking. So I do think there should be more um, support for coroners. There should be deputy coroners um, to ease the burden. Um, and also, I think the excuse of facilities is being used as well a lot. Um, the Department of Justice and, and the local authority really who do fund the coroners, they should make provision for facilities, perhaps not even in courtrooms. I mean, um, in Dublin now for the last while, they've been hearing inquests out in the RDS. Mm. Oh, I remember and I know the le- being, being held up in the Maldron Hotel. up in The Maldron, yeah, yeah. You know, hotels, in fact, sometimes people can find them less pressurised than a courtroom uh, building. Um, and, I, and I understand where they're coming from with that, you know. Yeah. But again, it's just it, where, where there's a will, there's a way, PJ. You yeah. know, and I think it's there should be more of a will because the, the, these are very important situations. And like we do, we do so much as a society for people who are suffering. But I think this is one area that we really need to look at again. And hopefully the book will bring some light to that. Lastly, Darren, the one thing at any family I've ever spoken to about their inquest, the one thing they were looking for above all else was closure. Do you think some, and that's a different, the definition of that is different for everybody. Do you think people get it in our system? Well, again, every inquest is is different, but I suppose they can never get closure when they're waiting for one and it's being put back and back and back. But I will hand on heart honestly say that many of them feel at the end of it they, they haven't got closure because they feel that the full facts haven't been ventilated for example, I have been at inquests recently where um, members of family have wanted to give evidence. They have written a statement that they want to read in and there'll be an objection made that uh, parts of it must be redacted or that the whole thing ought to be disallowed. Um, and when that happens, when a coroner says, OK, I'm not going to allow you read in your statement, A, it's very hurtful for the family member, but B, they feel that they haven't had a chance to sort of yeah. air their their feelings and their emotion, and that's wrong. That's wrong. Yeah. Well, hopefully so sometimes so. they feel they don't. They don't yeah. feel that they got a fair hearing. Well, hopefully their questions, many of them, will be answered in the new book. Darren, thank you. The book is called uh, Medical Inquests by Roger Murray, Darren O'Mahony, who you've just been speaking to, and David O'Malley, and it's published by Claris. Press. Thanks, Darren. 1850-715-996. And Jeanette says the whole process of somebody dying suddenly and having to wait for an inquest, it's harrowing. There's no support for families. And going into inquests, clueless, clueless as to what happens, is horrible. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Right, if you want to go and see Riverdance next June at the Marquee, courtesy of Aiken Promotions, 
Then text the word Riverdance. Text to WhatsApp the word Riverdance now and your name to 083 396 96 96. The word Riverdance and your name to 083 396 96 96. What I will do then is we'll call somebody uh, around 10 or 5 to 12. And you have a choice. Do you want a question on rivers or a question on dances? And depending on which one you choose, I'll ask you a question. If you get the question right, then you and a friend are heading off to see Riverdance at the Marquee next summer, courtesy of our friends at Aiken Promotions. Simple. So get going now. Your name and the word Riverdance. 2083 396 96 96. Bit of reaction from my question earlier or our discussion earlier on whether people would consider taking their children out of school a bit early uh, maybe Friday even though the Taoiseach and the Minister of Education have insisted that the schools will stay open until quitting time on the 22nd Hi PJ, happy Christmas to you and the team please don't give out my name I'll be keeping my child out of school Christmas is a special time I won't risk anyone getting sick over that period I've underlying health problems myself imagine if my child caught it and passed it on to me how much more damaging would that be than to the mental health than to missing school uh, he's right not to close the schools, says this. As he said, it's the grandparents end up minding them. The most vulnerable put on risk, put at risk again. Linda says, Hi PJ, I've made the decision to keep my son home from school since Monday of this week. I just can't take the risk of him catching COVID. We're just out of isolation for the third time now and there's COVID still in his class. We've isolated as a family for 17 days, three times this year. I just can't do it again. My mental health won't take it. I need to finish the year on a positive note with family around me. So I'm just not going to take this chance so close to Christmas. He's staying home to be on the safe side. Thank you. John says, yep, PGI for one will be keeping them off from Friday. Omicron is spreading like wildfire. All they're doing is colouring anyway. Give us all a break and close on Friday and reduce the chances of families being sick for Christmas, says John. Lauren has says, hello, in regards to keeping children out of school before it closes, our daughter's crash closed for 10 days because within a week they went from three confirmed cases to 27 staff and children infected. They reopened on Monday, just gone. Then we got an email from my son's school to say two kids in his pod had tested positive. So my husband and I made the executive decision to keep them out the remainder of the term and to homeschool. This is to protect them ourselves and anyone we want to see over Christmas. <clears throat> that is from Lauren. I beg your pardon, frog in my throat. Jennifer says, I'd love to keep my daughter out of school. The only thing holding me back is the fact she's had over 10 days absence already due to coughs, sore throats, isolation, etc. She'd normally miss a max of five days in the entire year. I think the school should say, if you're in a position to, then please keep them home. Lots of people making that decision to vote with their feet. From Friday. Beg your pardon. Bit of a frog in the old throat. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a commercial break and get a drop of water into me so they can move on. 1850 that time of year, I guess, when we start thinking about our diaspora and the Irish around the world. Some of them will get home, some of them won't. 
for the Christmas. There's a new platform has been set up and launched indeed by the Minister of State for Diaspora, Colin Brophy. It's called tobeirish.ie and it is effectively uh, a huge resource of of things that, you know, what it means to be Irish. Various projects that uh, put that put up video and, and audio and writing and art. Just remembering what it is to be Irish. The Minister joins me by phone. I'm also joined by Luke Casserly, who has one of the projects uh, in this uh, platform. And I'll talk to Luke in just a minute. Minister, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, PJ. And good morning to Luke. And good morning to all your listeners. Good to, good to speak with you. The idea for this, was it pandemic-related, Minister, or, or, or is it just something that you were thinking of anyway in, your, in the department? Well, it's actually our second year of doing tobeirish.ie. And originally last year, um, I came up with this as an idea, as a reach-out to our diaspora, because last year, effectively, no one was getting home. And uh, it's a very, it's a time of year where an awful lot of our diaspora do historically come home. There's all those magnificent scenes you see of family get-togethers and reunions. We were conscious last year no one was getting home, but we're also conscious this year that while people will be coming home and there will be some of those wonderful scenes again of people being able to meet up with their family, there'll be an awful lot of the diaspora that won't. And what it does is, and you summarised it very well, is tobeirish.ie enables people, wherever they are in the world, who have a link back to Ireland and particularly will be missing it at Christmas time, to log on and we've every Thing from, you know, basically shops there, which Irish craft artisan shops where they can get something and maybe give it as a gift to someone back home in Ireland. Or we have, I think there's about 240 events, would you believe, right throughout the running of the, the programme. And they feature everything from what Luke is doing, and he'll talk about that. But right the way up to things like um, we have a Christmas cookbook where you can, you can look in and you can see some really great recipes for Christmas uh, done by um, some of our best chefs. Um, and we have a whole range of things that are events, our interviews, our music, are things like looking at the Cork streetlights um, and mm. just uh, having an opportunity to give yourself that old memory of, uh, of, of home. So that's really why it's there. It's particularly for the diaspora who can't make us home to us. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fabulous resource when you look at what's in it. There's interviews and videos and music and recipes and art. You name it, it's there. Just... Stay there for a minute, Minister, and I'll bring Luke in on this. This is Luke Casserly. Your particular project, Luke, is, is, is unique. It's a sound landscape project. Tell me about it. Good morning. Yeah, yeah. hello. Um, thanks a million for having me on. So, yeah, the project that I'm making is called Reverberations from an Irish Landscape. And it's basically a whistle-stop tour of Ireland through sound. Um, so what I've done is I've travelled to uh, five unique geographical sites throughout the island of Ireland and I've listened to them for one hour um, and I've recorded that listening Um, and so what I'm doing then is I am creating a website um, which will host each of those uh, recordings of each of the landscapes accompanied by a photograph um, of the exact location where the recording took place so um, the website will be accessible from the 16th to the 23rd of December and the great thing about it is that um, you can access it from anywhere in the world at any time of day. So the idea was uh, to connect the Irish diaspora who um, wouldn't, I suppose, be able to travel home at this time of year. Um, the idea is that um, the Irish landscape and the sound of the Irish landscape can be shared 
um, with a global audience. Is this um, a bit like you might you might click into it if you're in Australia or Dubai or Singapore or anywhere at all, click it in and put it on the sound bar and maybe it sounds like home? Is that the plan? Exactly, exactly. I've kind of... Um, uh, the way I've kind of invited um, users to experience it is that um, you can either listen to it um, uh, through headphones or through speakers, either are good. Although for the optimum listening experience, I would say headphones is probably the most immersive. Um, but the idea is that, um, yeah, you will be able to be transported to that place through sound. Um, and I think it'll be a fairly meditative experience um, for a lot of people. You know, um, I think it would be nice to listen to it um, as a sort of uh, meditative exercise. Mm. But also there's um, there's multiple different ways that it can be listened to. Yeah. For example, you could listen to each of the five soundscapes in close succession, or you could choose a different day throughout yeah. the festival to experience each one. Um, you could have it on in the background, or you could listen to it in a more... Um, in a more focused way. Got to say, it's, it's, a, it's a really uh, clever idea, Luke, and thanks for describing it to us. It's called Reverberations from an Irish Landscape and it'll be part of the 2beirish.ie platform. Minister, lots of stuff like that on it. Oh, there is. There, 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 there's stuff like Luke was describing there and it's an amazing project uh, that he has in. But there's something for everybody. I mean, you can, you can tap in uh, to the Aladdin at the Everyman and uh, if that's your cup of tea, you can uh, there's on uh, a number of events where you can just look at. We had a, a great uh, uh, Irish choir out in Dubai um, and you can go and you can watch that back and you can see all the fabulous things they uh, that they were involved in out there yeah. uh, as part of the Irish uh, Standard Expo. Uh, we'll have uh, things like John Spillane. Um, we'll have uh, an array of guests with him performing a selection of old favourites, um, and that's available as well. So, I mean, there's just so many things there. Uh, that's there that anybody who has any connection back to Ireland, take a look at it, go through it, and I guarantee you'll find something Good. that will interest you. Well, like you said, last year, it was set up because nobody could get home this year. Lots and lots of people have plans. Some people are already packing their bags. And Minister, while I have you there, uh, the, the news this morning that Neffet are going to make recommendations tonight or tomorrow with regard travel, that will fill people with dread because do we expect another recommendation that people do not come home, that people cancel their plans. It's it's directly into your bailiwick, Minister, as Minister for the Diaspora. Will some of them have to suddenly change their plans, do you think? Well, uh, first of all, I don't want to speculate on what Neffert are going to say tomorrow night and what they're, how they're going to advise government. Government will then make a very quick decision uh, on that advice. Uh, at this moment in time, provided you follow all the regulations and precautions that we've asked you to follow, it's still perfectly okay to come back to Ireland. And I know that there are a lot of our diaspora planning to do that. We want to keep it that way, but we also want people to be conscious. And and so unfortunately, the reality of living with COVID, as we've now had to do for these couple of years, is that we want people to be safe. 
and the main reason always remember that you'd be coming back is to try and spend Christmas with your family and friends with your community and you don't want to put them at risk either so we'll try and minimise the disruption to people's lives but we'll try and do so while having the safest set of regulations that keep everybody safe Last year people were directly told Minister not to now some of them did of course because there was no ban on it but last year people were directly asked requested by government not to come I know you don't want to speculate, but do you think there's any possibility at all that will happen this year? Well, as I said, and as you just said to me there, I don't want to speculate on it. And I tell you the reason particularly why I don't want to speculate on it, because of your opening remarks. You're quite right. There are people who are going to be a bit worried. There are people now who are going to be going, what's happening and whatever. And it doesn't help, I think, to have a variety of voices speculating or trying to second guess it. I think we have about 24 to 36 hours to wait and see what Neffet's advice is. And then we'll all be in a much stronger position to be able then to advise people correctly uh, while there's still quite a good lead into uh, to Christmas. But I know out there, when if anybody hears anything like that at all, it creates a worry. As I say, mm. regulations at the moment that we know of is you can come home, take your PCR tests, be safe, take your tests when you come home, and we'll see what Neffet say to government on Thursday. All right. Well, thank you for taking our call and for uh, at least answering that question for me. Minister Cullum Brophy, Minister for the Diaspora, and thanks also to Luke Casserly. That website, if you, I had a look at it, it's fascinating. There's so much stuff up there. Uh, that, that it, Whether you're coming home or not, or whether you're even going anywhere, if you're just sitting at home looking for something to watch, it's fascinating. It's a great website. And when something is done well, it's good to credit it. To be Irish, with the T and the B and the I in capitals. To be Irish. Dot IE. 1850 Just on vaccines, uh, we have a queue for vaccines at the City Hall over the last couple of days. A lot of health workers getting in for their boosters and stuff. Went to City Hall yesterday, had an appointment for half three, was out at four. Good to see. Good to see. A couple more on schools again this morning. The question we were asking you was what are you going to do? Are you going to vote with your feet and finish the children Friday, finish their school year Friday? Minister, or sorry, the Taoiseach and the Minister of Education have both sort of set their face against that and they want to hold on until the schools close naturally Wednesday. I was asking you what you're going to do, Patricia. Uh, They're talking about mental health for kids and not wanting to close the schools. What about teachers and staff under extreme stress every day? The next thing to happen is teachers won't be able to cope and they'll have no choice but to be out either with COVID or with their mental health. It'll be all down to government because they haven't a clue what it's like to work for schools. Sorry, I just had to say that. Thanks, Patricia. 96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96FM96
Aston Villa v Burnley at three and Leeds against Arsenal. That's at half past five. Leeds stinging from that kicking they got last night at the hands of Manchester City. But they've taken on Arsenal half five Saturday. That match will be live on Premier League Live with now stream live Premier League action with a now sports or sports extra membership. Your sports on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with now. Listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or indeed you can go to 96FM.ie. Now, Christmas gifts, 10 days to go. Mad shopping, mad crazy shopping. People shopping like the shops are never going to open again. But that happens every Christmas. And it's great, isn't it great we can get out to do it? But some people can't. So what if you can't get out to the shops? You might be able to make something. And uh, maybe even make something that we can eat. Kate Ryan of Flavor.ie. Hi, Kate. Hi, PJ. Good morning. How are you? Good, good, good to speak with you again. It's the time yeah. of year when we all eat like fools. And there's a lot we could eat. Um, so what would be something that I might, and bearing in mind now I have got the cooking skills of a bear, right? <laughs> and 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 the, and the the touch with small things like utensils of an elephant. So, what might I cook for someone if I can't do anything else but make them something? Okay, great. So, I mean, first of all, I suppose relax because I'm not exactly elegant around the kitchen myself, and I'm probably one of the messiest cooks you will ever see. So, you can forget about neatness, really, and and just kind of enjoy the process of of putting something together that you really enjoy to eat and that you know that somebody else will enjoy to eat and it can be something really really simple so um one of the things I love about I suppose edible gifts is the fact that there's no waste and everything can be eaten and munched away and if you kind of really put some thought into how you package your edible gifts up as well then even the things that the the edible goodies come in can be reused so it's a it's a lovely kind of uh, gift that keeps on giving all throughout the year as well but some, there's some really simple things we can do. So I think probably, PJ, one of the simplest things I could kind of get you to do is make something called chocolate mendiants. So mendiants are basically little discs of melted chocolate mm-hmm. that are topped with fruits and nuts. So literally all you're doing is melting chocolate. You don't have to add anything at all to the chocolate. So you can do that in a microwave or you can do that in a little bowl over a simmering pot of uh, hot water. Just melt the chocolate really gently. And then just spoon little uh, blobs of the chocolate onto some parchment paper. And then as they're cooling, uh, but before they set hard again into chocolate, just top them with little bits of dried fruits or or nuts. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can go mental with whatever you want to put on. So uh, dark white and milk chocolate are great. So, for example, crystallized ginger is perfect with dark chocolate. Mm. Dried cranberries and blueberries on white chocolate. Or you can chop up little sort of bits of Brazil nuts or pistachios on top of uh, white uh, milk chocolate as well. So, you know, and they're really simple. They look really beautiful when they're kind of bagged together or put into a little piece of uh, tissue paper. And they're just, uh, they're really simple. They take minutes to make and anybody can do them and you can get kids involved as well what did you call them again what name did you have for them they're called mendiants m-e-a-n sorry m-e-n-d-i-a-n-t-s and they're basically just like think like chocolate buttons like that just little chocolate buttons would you use baking chocolate or regular chocolate for those because i would have thought regular chocolate would be more flavorsome 
Yeah, regular chocolate definitely would be better. I find that the cooking chocolate on its own when you're eating it is far too sweet and also has a bit of a grainy texture. Whereas if you use sort of really nice quality chocolate, um, then you just get that nice kind of luxurious, silky feel in your mouth as you're you're eating them. Um, So, yeah, I would definitely. But look, at the end of the day, if if cooking chocolate is all you have in the cupboard and Mm. you're in a bit of a panic or a rush, then go for that as well. If you wanted to do something a bit more ambitious, is there a cake where you could think of or anything like that? Yeah, there's a good, there's a good few things actually. So um, I don't know, PJ, whether or not you've been making your figgy pudding ahead of Christmas time, uh, but um, when you, if you are making figgy pudding or Christmas pudding, uh, make a double batch and then set one side one batch of it aside for yourself, and then you can make smaller little figgy puddings that you can give away as gifts and then of course you can tie them up with some nice little piece of muslin and maybe some holly or something like that but one of the things i really like and is really again is simple but really effective uh, is shortbread and right. spicing it with some christmas spices mm-hmm. so um shortbread is really simple to make it's very few ingredients uh you mix it together by hand and then you just press it into a tin and bake it in the oven for about 20 minutes or so but by adding in some very simple seasonal spices like uh ground ginger ground cinnamon a little bit of ground clove not too much because it's quite overpowering and then a little bit of vanilla bean paste as well um you can really sort of just make your shortbread sing of Christmas and then what I like to do when it's out the oven and it's cooled slightly is to again in with the chocolate PJ it is Christmas after all uh, just to melt another little bit of chocolate and then just dip half of the shortbread fingers in the chocolate let that dry and you can decorate it as well with like silver edible baubles or something like that it is spectacular I'm not and giving it's them away the to, to anybody <laughs> I wouldn't blame you, to be honest. You'd have to price them out of my cold, dead hands as well. Um, but they are fantastic. And they're just brilliant things to sort of have as 11s uh, or just to have in the tin to, if you get a surprise visitor popping around this Christmas. But And they're so simple. It's you, really great. You mentioned the puddings. I always thought that you had to make start making the Christmas pudding around March to have it ready and mature. <laughs> can, can, you, can you still make them like you can you can i suppose like the traditional thing is they say stir up sunday which is the first sunday in advent which i think this year was something like the 23rd of november or something but to be honest like you know you can just you can make them a couple of weeks out if you made them this coming weekend for example a week out you'll be you'll be grand for christmas really it's just the longer you leave them the more mellower the flavors kind of get that's yeah. why people make them a bit further ahead of time but the mini figgy puddings are a great thing you know and you just put pop them in the microwave oven just to reheat um so there's no faffing around with re-steaming or anything like that yeah. and then people can just pop them out on the plate and it's done and it's nice and quick and easy for people that really like pudding but don't have the time to make it would, would you put nuts in a pudding i i I had one last year or the year before and it, there was nuts in it. It was gorgeous. Oh, yeah. I, I do like to put nuts in it. Um, walnuts particularly are great, but also macadamia nuts, which are kind of, uh, they're a very sort of um, luxurious. Mm. They're kind of a bit like uh, Brazil nuts, but they're much more creamier. They're soft. They're beautiful. 
they're softer and they really kind of take up the flavors of everything else that's in the pudding. But I suppose the main thing is to soak the fruits that you're putting them in. Um, and I was, uh, I had a treat at the weekend. I was down in Cork City and I was in Nash 19 and I had a slice of the Claire Nash famous Christmas pudding. Oh. Uh, she soaks all of her fruits in brandy and wine and port and all sorts of things. And she always puts nuts in her puddings and it is fantastic. And do you know how she eats it as well, PJ? cold sliced with a little bit of cashew blue cheese on top and it is fantastic i've never had cold pudding i like it i like my i'm i'm very much for heating it up with a bit of re, either really runny custard or a bit of brandy cream uh-huh. yeah try this though and it because it's basically like you're substituting the cracker or the the, the pudding is a substitute for the cracker with the cheese on top and the cashew blue in particular oh, works yeah. really well the with it. Blue is a, a great, I can imagine I can I can actually imagine the interaction. And I'm almost yes. reaching for a large glass of red wine while I'm tasting. Oh absolutely. I think that's his <laughs> standard really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll be wheeled in here after the Christmas time. <laughs> the best way (laughs) so there's loads of things really you can do you know I like making fudge as well fudge is really easy to make with just condensed milk and if you're you know for the adults in the room I like to soak some raisins and rum for a couple of days before I make put them into my fudge so you know these are all kind of really nice things you don't have to do an awful lot to things to elevate them into the Christmas spirit Um, uh, it's all about just figuring out what you love and then adding in those Christmas flavours to make them extra special. All right, listen, Kate, great talking to you. Kate Ryan of Flavour.ie and some of those things you might make for somebody as a Christmas gift rather than go out and buy something. Mind you, I, I can't think of a single thing that she's been talking about that I would that I would part with. 1850-715-996. I am big on Christmas pudding myself. Absolutely love the Christmas pudding. What's this one? Uh... Carmel is on to us from Middleton. I'm looking for a nun, says Carmel. Uh, Sister Carmel, or she's also known as Annie. She's due to go back to Thailand tomorrow, and I'd love to see her before she goes. She was recently in Dublin to receive a a presidential service award. Oh, sorry, it's Sister Mary. Okay, sorry. Carmel is on to us from Middleton, looking to speak to a Sister Mary, who is otherwise known as Annie. She is just back in Ireland recently to receive a presidential service award from President Higgins. And she's due to go back to Thailand tomorrow and Carmel would love to see her before she goes. It is a long shot, to say the least. But it's Christmas and we'll give it a go. Speaking of Christmas, this Friday is a free Panto Friday on Cork's 96MM for Aladdin. They're having a great run already, uh, the Panto at the Everyman, getting incredible reviews about it. Listen in across the day for your chance to win a family pass to the show. We're asking questions all day Friday about Aladdin. If you got the answers, then you could be picking up a family pass. Stay listening Friday to win your way to Aladdin at the Everman, only on Cork's 96am. And can I just mention, yesterday we were talking on the show about coming up to the first Christmas after the passing of a loved one. And I had a lovely message last night from Catherine Mahan Buckley, uh, who, as you know, used to be on with me here talking about being able to get to see her mom. Her mom was in a 
in a nursing home. And of course, during the year, Catherine lost her mum and she sent me a lovely, lovely message last night about the empty chair and the isolation. And she said it was a huge comfort to hear how other people cope. And she was really grateful for our discussion on how to face the first Christmas without a loved one. And as I said to her, I responded to that message, Catherine, you were one of the people who came to mind to me when we were doing that item because I remember you talking about your mum on the show and uh, how loved she was. Uh, so, so just thank you for that message. Beautiful calendar is coming out uh, for 2022 featuring, of all things, dressers. I had a look at it, uh, and it's beautiful. Uh, Michael Fortune went around the country gathering photographs of beautifully restored, kept, old, battered dressers. Yeah, dressers, as in the things you put delphin and plates and cups and all that. And he put them together into a calendar. And I'll talk a little bit about that, but in particular, he's been looking at, at the folklore connected with the various months of the year. And the whole thing is in a beautiful publication. Is it in the shops yet, Michael? Good morning to you. Good morning. Yeah, it's it's in a, it's only in a, a few kind of shops, mostly on the west coast. I'll be honest with you. There's one in Cork, but most of my sales have been online at the at the project website, the dresserproject.ie. But you, you you will get walking in in Gaddy Dove in, in in Cork, and then there's obviously in other counties as well, along, mostly along the west coast. Mm. What I love about it is. Obviously, there's a beautiful picture on each page of the cal- of the calendar. We'll talk a bit about the dressers in a sec. But then you, draw, you, you zoom into the calendar itself, and, and there are folklore stories. And Christmas, of course, is surrounded up and down by, by folklore and, and old memories of, of, of times past. And it's lovely to remember it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I just spent the last couple of hours talking to people in County Clare and we're just talking about it. Even simple things we, we people don't realise sometimes is we, a lot of country people in particular, we never had Christmas trees. We were now, now we all have Christmas trees and I wouldn't have a, we have one here with our own children, but a lot of the older people never had it. A bit of holly and ivy went up a couple of days before Christmas. Um, so it even changed an awful lot in, in the last say, 50 to 100 years and how we, how we marked it. It would be the weekend coming actually would be when the holly and the ivy went up, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, there's a date called Tibbs Eve in some parts of the country that was marked, but in most people, most cases, the weekend before it, because I suppose you, you put it up to mark the twelve days of Christmas, and you didn't take them down, and, and still you'd never take them down until after the sixth, after the on 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 the on, on the seventh, you take them down that following day. So it's lovely to, to mark that the, the the twelve days of Christmas. I suppose that's what's important about putting them up and brightening up the house as well. And you, when did we start using trees? Because, like you said, everyone's got a tree now. How, when did we start using trees? Yeah, I, I, from what our our we were really influenced by the English, I suppose they were. It was a oh, it's a German wife officer, uh, Charlotte. Charlotte, she was the wife of George III. I think that was the first tree they had over in England. Well, one 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 of the kind of most publicised trees, and that spread then, obviously spread through through, through England. Obviously, kept came to Ireland. That's why things normally come in waves like that. Um, obviously, we would have been influenced a lot by America say, over the, in the, the latter part of the last century as well. But I'd say our influence would have been definitely. You're talking. I'd say people did. Have have them compared to me. Some people would have had them late 18, mid to late 1800s. But a lot of country people I'm talking, God, the people said we never had a Christmas tree until the, until the 60s um, yeah. and even in the 70s. Uh, now, 
that wasn't always the case. In towns and cities, influence, you know, fashions were easier. They'd spread easier, so you'd, yeah. you'd, you'd get them, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Holly Holly was always important, though. Even to this day, Holly's important to people, I think, at Christmas, especially to Irish people. The berries on the holly were always... People used to look upon the, the, the berries on the holly, if, if they were plentiful, it was important for weather, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, um, and, and and even to this day, I, I came I came across a man up in Offaly that there were some people who th- thought it was a bit cruel or maybe a little bit selfish. But you know what he did? And a man from Kerry was telling me the same years ago. He said he went out when he's finding a bit of berry holly. He said he'd go out and tie a bag on it and and tie it on it so the birds wouldn't take it. So he didn't when he go out a few days before Christmas, he'd always have a bit of berry holly. Um, that was one of the things as well. Even you you do it for neighbours. A lot of people would do it for neighbours. It always give, especially an older neighbour that couldn't get out to the fields or couldn't buy a bit. He'd always call around and around Christmas and give them a bit of berry holly yeah. Um, and yeah so that, that 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 idea of bringing a bit of life and light into the house uh, yeah. but then again come here to me PJ it's, it's tied it's tied in with come here to me, the candles in the tree are tied in with the, with the winter solstice as well you know there's a lot of, of things tied in with and that's coming yeah. up next, that's coming up next week the, the, the winter solstice something is in the calendar and I'd completely forgotten about it because I happened to be in Brussels one time in early December and I saw the the fiesta that they have for the Feast of St. Nicholas on the 6th of, of December. We we don't really mark that, do we? No, we don't. And Gas, you notice know, you that because they, yeah, the, the Belgians, the Dutch do it and the, a lot of the Eastern European countries will do it as well. Yeah, it's the 5th, the 5th and then going into the 6th of St. Nicholas Day. But you know what I've noticed? Because we've got loads of new people living in Ireland, loads of new Irish people living in the country now in the last 20 years that I've noticed people here from Slovenia and Czech Republic, they will have their, 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 their St. Nicholas will pay a visit um, um, that night and the little children will leave out their boots that night and they'll get a little present, a little present in them as well. So it's interesting to watch that um, those things change as well in the country You mentioned uh, the solstice and that's next week and indeed we'll all be watching online to see if yeah. Newgrange shows up and the light comes in the, the, the chamber but you've, you've drawn my attention to something in this calendar I've never heard of it Knock Row Passage to yeah, Knock Rose on the borders between Tipperary and Kilkenny. And uh, it's aligned to the winter solstice, it's aligned to the, the rising sun and the setting sun. Now, come here to me, it's not as fancy as Newgrange, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a covered passage grave. But there's a guy from Tipperary called uh, Derry Gryan, and he's identified about 20 different sites around the country that are aligned to the winter solstice. Wow. So I don't know whether there's any from Cork, Cork now, but Derry Gryan's his name, he's a, he's a runs a Tipperary folklore uh, history page. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I, 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 I'm fairly, you might get one in Cork, you might wouldn't, get one. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't it baffle you? as well uh, how brilliant they were at the physics <laughs> to get it so right in the maths <laughs> like. oh it's, un- it's unreal really when you, t- when you think about it you know and, but you know what you, you, you'll remember it in Cork as well you'll have, you'll have the bonfires on the 23rd of June they're exactly six months apart so you've got the winter solstice and yeah. the summer solstice one marked the highest the, the, mo- the most amount of light in the sky and the other one marked the least amount but it, come here to me the good news is it's a, I can, what I like about it is there's a turning point in the year and the evenings are going to be getting a bright, bit brighter again yeah. and that's lovely I think you know Somebody was I don't quite- know whether he's having Someone was pointing out last night that there's a few seconds of a stretch there, uh, even even now, and it'll get a bit, a bit brighter after the after the twenty first. On something I discovered, we and I didn't. I thought that um, it was only the Eastern Europeans did it. They eat fish Christmas Eve, but other people do too. 
Yeah, they do. It's funny now. I know down in, 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 in Kerry, they, they, they do. The, was it Ling? I think there's a tradition of eating that. And you, come here, here's the gas thing about this folklore stuff. You'd be, you, you, I could be recording someone and you, you could say, oh, you could say, oh, that can't be found in that village or that whole county. But then you might find one family to do it. And yeah. then, you know, I, I, I find I find one little pocket somewhere here and there. I, w- I was talking to a woman from Clare earlier this morning and she was saying, oh, they always, they always had a kind of a particular potato stuffing on Christmas Eve. But um, so it's unusual. You know, we, I suppose we simply don't ask people. We don't, we don't be asking those questions or not in people's homes to see what they do but the fish thing is big a lot of the again Czech and Polish people will have carp or they might have a different fish now this yeah. time you know on Christmas Eve night oh, Pat, O'Con- Pat O'Connell in the market would always have some carp uh, aside for the for the Eastern Europeans I've tasted the stuff God almighty I'd rather eat earth out of, out of, <laughs> out of a plant pot but they, they seem to love it they really do Michael a, a lovely tradition and again something I can't remember since I since there was a very small boy, I remember being taking a piece of straw from the crib. Oh, God. It's a, a lovely, lovely one, isn't it? You, you reminded yeah. me of it. Remind people why we do that again. Yeah, it's, I suppose it, it's, it's a little bit of cheap insurance in some ways. Basically, you'd, you'd get a piece of straw from the crib, or I'd give you a bit, you'd give me a bit. That's what they said. You wouldn't take it yourself, right? Yeah. But the idea, you'd have it in your your purse, or your, your women in particular had it in their purse, so they'd have a bit of money for the year. A lot of the older people as well put it in the house to stop it prevention against fire. And sure, even myself, come here to me. I have a lump in, 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 in sandwich into my bank cards. And, you know, you know to be your bank cards as well, or your phone case sometimes. Yeah. Yep. So it's actually it's actually pra- practical and, 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 and a bit of insurance as well at the same time. But it's it's a, it's a lovely, a lovely tradition, and it's found all over the country. Yeah. Well, the calendar is a beautiful production. You spent ages, just briefly about the dressers. You spent ages gathering those pictures. They're gorgeous. Yeah, and there's a great cork link in, in this year because I, I've been documenting the dressers for about five or six years and the stories behind them. Again, there's not, it wasn't this kind of book on furniture, just about the facts when it was made, but more about ordinary people. You know, who did all the different little local styles? What was on them? Who made it? Did your grandfather make it? So there's all the photographs of the dressers, and there's two dressers from Cork, and there's one from uh, Siobhan Hurley's dresser up in, near Inneskeen, and there's another, an, another dresser from Jenny Moreau's Clark. And then in the middle of it, there's actually a pull-out poster of 16 Cork dressers because this year I actually did a whole body work between April and on July documenting dressers in Cork so um, so there's a, there's a, there's, a, there's other dressers from Tipperary yeah. and Wexford and Kilkenny and Galway and Clare but Cork as I said there's a poster in the middle from Cork and then all there's two other stories Brilliant. as well from Cork Ma- many, of them, many of them would have been of course handed down until they practically fell apart and you've won that <laughs> I think it's been painted <laughs> and repaired so many times <laughs> but it still stands proud it's a beautiful publication where can people get it Michael? Yeah, the best way to get it now would be on, on the website, thedresserproject.ie, thedresserproject.ie, and they're just they're, they're 15 euros and there's free shipping to anywhere in the country. And if you order over the next few days, it'll be guaranteed to get to you before Christmas. So it's thedresserproject.ie. Right. Michael, it's a, go- it's a gorgeous piece of work. And, and thank you for being with us on the Opinion Line to talk about it. The, it's the, the Dresser Project, a beautiful calendar for 2022. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie We're playing all your favourite Christmas hits after midday on Cork's 96FM. With your local mace, friendly faces, always ready to help this Christmas. Six to nine a.m. on Corks ninety six 
Today's FM. I have a few little people on standby here. That would, ah, yes. They want to ask you the question. Oh, I'd love to hear from them. Okay, let's go. Does your grandma knit the Christmas jumpers you wear on the Late Night Toy Show? Ooh, good question. Well, that's a nice question, Robin. Uh, no, uh, the, the jumpers are they're, they're knitted by people who despise me. How's it going? My name is Pine, and yeah. I'm Touchy Twee. Good enough. Can you ask Ryan Tuberty how does he pull all those gorgeous women? What a great question, yes, Paul. That's a great, great question. question, Paul. Um, I think we'll... we'll uh, <laughs> I, think, I think Paul is, uh, thought he was talking to a different presenter. Casey and Ross in the morning with Lowell DC Cars Blackpool. First Skoda in the city. Now taking orders for 221. And always open 24-7 at knowledc.com. Corks 96 FM. We found our nun. That's good. That's good. Okay. Uh, Leanne, yep. good morning yeah, to yeah, you. How are you? Leanne, do you want a question okay. on do you want a question on river or a question on dance? I'll have dance, please. You'll have dance. That might I will. Okay. Let me see. Since River Dance began, true or false, two thousand or more Irish dancers have taken part in the show. Is that true or false? It's true. It's absolutely it's true. true. And they've taken part in it all over the world. Who are you going to take with you next summer? Um, my mom or my sister, PJ. Fantastic. Well, if you've never no. seen the show, it's a treat. It's an absolute treat. And you're off to see Riverdance, courtesy of our friends at Aiken Promotions, live at the marquee next summer. That's Leanne, uh, today's winner. I think she's around the Dillon's Cross area. We'll do it again tomorrow. All right. Um, yeah, there's a warning, Cork Business Association, a warning of counterfeit money, suspect 20s tendered in one shop. They all have the same number. Please be aware of counterfeit notes in circulation. Happens every Christmas. Right, that's it. Thanks, Fergal. Thanks, Moiraid. We'll talk to you tomorrow, just after nine. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.